Well, again, as Pastor Scott said, great to see you all here today. And um, how many of you are more excited to be here today than stinking football season kick it off, right? Woo! Come on now, let me hear you. Yeah, yep, that sounds good. Who cares about that stuff? When you got Jesus in the house and in the heart, right? Man, nothing better than that. Would you help me thank Mr. Tim this morning, Hunter's brother that looks like a twin, kind of equally talented. I mean, they got, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. it I guess it all flows from mom and dad and all, you know, all the way down. So uh, what a blessing it is to have people step in and help when a lot of our folks are out of town. And so thank you all. Would you give yourselves a hand for being here? Come on. Yep. There you go. Yep, great to have all of you here. And if you would, uh, the handout Pastor Scott referenced earlier, would you go ahead and take that out? And on one side is a place to take some notes. What a special day you're here on. We're going to uh, celebrate communion at the uh, conclusion of our time together this morning. But before that, we're going to look to God's Word on, on how we get to communion, what, what that really means and what it's all about. Uh, at the top of your outline, you see the title, The Sweet Smell of Victory. And this is week two in our continuing study on the book of 2 Corinthians. We looked at the book of 1 Corinthians a number of months back that Paul penned, and, and, and now we're in, in 2 Corinthians, this other letter that he sent to this church that he himself planted. And, and I just want to say, who loves to win in this room? Anybody in here love to win? Anybody not like to win? Let me see your hands there, probably. Um, yeah, okay, what I thought. We all love winning. How many of you are good sports about winning and losing and all that good stuff? I know I am. I've been exemplary in my sportsmanship throughout my lifetime. What's so funny about that, guys, huh? Come on. How many of you have been known to flip the board and not wipe the pieces off the game board at Monopoly or whatever when you didn't quite see it going your way? Oh, yeah, okay, we got some honest people in here. Thank you. We, we love honesty in, in God's house and in our lives. And, we love to win. I mean, honestly, if, if we're just going to be real, everybody loves to win. And, you know, I was, I was working on this this week, and I thought about this, and, and, and let this kind of sink into your heart. I hate to lose as much as I love to win. Does that make sense? I just, I hate to be beat in anything. And I'm going to give you everything I've got, even if it means that I'm just wiped out and laying on the court or on the field or whatever, because I, I'm not going to hold back any reserves. I, I love to win. And in the section of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we're going to look at today, the Apostle Paul gives us some great news and an explanation of what exactly it means. So I want to start this off by defining victory in Christ. I don't want us working from a false narrative or definition. I want to talk to you today about what true victory really is. The title of the message, The Sweet Smell of Victory. Let me give you some very good news. When you were born again, you were born to win. Write that on the bottom of your outline. When you were born again, you were born to win, and God's plan for you is perpetual victory, victory that never stops. So chapter 2, verse 14, we're going to begin there. Here are the words that Paul wrote to this church and our church today, all of us who are Christ followers. He says, now, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor. That means the, the smell, the, the perfume of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet-smelling aroma, a, a sweet savor. For we are unto God a sweet savor in Christ, in them that are saved and them that, are, that, that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? He ends with that question. Now listen, church. 
God's plan is for us as his people to live in continual victory always and in every place. Now, you may say, well, pastor, aren't you stretching that just a little bit? Nobody can have victory always and in every place. Is that kind of what's going through your mind? I mean, I know some of you are, are hearing those words, you're reading those words with me and following along, and, and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that sounds nice, but I just don't know that that's achievable. I don't know if I can reach that. I mean, you look at some of the greatest sports teams ever. How many of you remember the UCLA Bruins under, under Coach Wooden? I mean, they had this dynasty built, and it went on this crazy long win streak in men's college basketball, and I think they won over 100 games in a row, maybe more than that. But they finally met David Thompson in NC State, right? And they suffered a loss. So most of us have lost at something at some point in time. And so we're kind of conditioned that, well, we can't always win. I mean, we tell our, our kids that even now when they, they try out for the little soccer team or, or basketball team or whatever. And they, they come home hanging their heads and all down and taking it hard because they didn't win the game. And we tell them, well, it's okay, Junior. You, you can't win them all, Right? And we kind of condition them and, and try to pep them up and tell them it's going to be okay. And, and it is, you know, because in those things, that's the reality of it. We can't win every ball game we play in. We can't be undefeated in every sports contest we're in or every board game that we play or every video game some of you junkies play and all that stuff. You just can't win all of those. But here's what Paul's saying. He's either wrong or he's right. And I want you to know this morning, I don't think Paul made a mistake. I think he's right on the money. Because if you're not having victory, it's not because Paul misspoke or miswrote. It's because we are not appropriating the victory that is ours in and through our Lord Jesus Christ that he's made available. He said, here, it's yours. So my heart burns today to impart that to every one of you that's in this room. Every one of you is going to be listening outside of this room, maybe watching this right now, that victory is more than possible. It's available. Would you write that down somewhere in your outline? Maybe write it on your hand. Victory is available. Some of you might need to write that on your mirror at home in your bathroom. And every morning when you get up and you go to shave and all that stuff and brush your teeth, and I hope you brush your teeth, that you look at that and you see at the top, victory is available. It is ours. It is, it is available for every one of us who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible does admit the possibility of defeat for the child of God. I just want to clarify this, but listen. Never the necessity of it. Does that, that kind of resonate in your heart like it did in mine? Let me repeat that. The Bible admits the possibility of defeat for every child of God, but never the necessity. In other words, you don't have to lose. If you choose to lose, that's on you, right? But Jesus has made victory available for every single person who calls upon him. So the reality is that as disciples of Christ, we are to live in the victory that Christ has secured for every one of us. And we can do that because of the victory that he brought at Calvary's cross. We can be victorious in all things. In all things, we are more than conquerors is what the Word of God tells us. How many of you know what that means? It means you don't just win. Man, you win big time. You're more than a conqueror. You're more than victorious in all these things. Verse 14 tells us, thanks be to God, which causes us always to triumph through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what real victory looks like. Now I want to talk to you just for a moment about the parade, the victory parade. We, we, we find the imagery that Paul's words in verse 14 talks about God always leads us in triumph in Christ. 
is, is likened to the victory parade in the Roman dominance of his day. Because what would happen is that, that a Roman general would go out to fight a war. How many of you know what that's all about? There's a battle, there's a conflict, two nations, two people groups, whatever the case may be. And this Roman general would take his soldiers out with him and lead them into battle. And what would happen is he would go and they would fight. And guess what? Most of the time they would conquer their enemy. And so here's what would take place. When that victory was won, then the Roman general would head back towards headquarters, head back towards Rome. And, and they would come and parade down Main Street, so to speak. Now, we kind of uh, see teams doing that. In our day and time, professional leagues always have this big championship parade. How many of you Golden State Warrior fans in this room this morning? Just what I thought. They're 3,000 miles away. We don't really care about them, but they've been dominant in the NBA. They've been winning championship after championship for the last six, seven years. And so when they win their championship, they plan this big parade. And they go down Main Street, and they're riding down in these, these floats or maybe these big money vehicles that they have, and they're holding the trophy up, and they're waving and smiling. And that's the kind of parade that we're used to in this day and time. But what would happen when the conquering general would come back? He would parade down the streets of Rome there, and he would come back with some, some trophies of his own, so to speak. And, and what would happen is, before they would even enter the city, there would be someone that was a herald, not herald, wins. We are champions, and our conquering heroes are coming back. We are victorious. And it's kind of interesting to note that the word herald there used in those instances is the same word that we get the word preacher from. So in essence, basically, they are like us today. They're like what I do. You know what I do? I just tell you about victory. Isn't that great? I get to tell you week after week, day after day, I get to share with people on a personal level and in group settings like this that Jesus Christ is our victory. I herald that message into my life. But I got some news to share with you. I'm not the only one. Just because I am called a pastor and, and I get to shepherd people in this capacity, guess what? You get to do it as well. You're a herald. You're a messenger. You're one that runs before and says, hey, guess what? Jesus wins. Because he wins, we can win. We can have victory in him. And that's what happened here in Rome. This messenger would go into the city, declare victory. How many of you love victory again? How many of you love to win? And then guess what would happen? When he declared it and the people gathered they would begin to burn incense in the city and, and, and great things would take place and, and, and everybody would adorn the, the town and the streets with, with victory things and, and they, would, they would decorate with flowers and, and all kind of amazing things to prepare for their victorious warriors that were coming into town. So when that would take place, let me, let me ask you, they would begin to burn these incense all throughout the city and you could smell the the savor of it, the, the aroma. Any of you ever been to Hawaii? See your hands in this room? Yeah, we got some aloha people here. Yeah. The, the couple times I, I went, I got to go out to the Dole farm where they grow the what? Pineapples. The thing that amazed me about heading out towards the Dole factory and, 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 and farm was, was that you would be several miles out 
And, and we were riding in these vehicles, and they had the windows down, the fresh air were blowing. And you would be several miles away from the actual location. And guess what you would start to, to smell? That sweet aroma of fresh pineapple just permeating the air. And when I was going through this this week, I kind of remembered that and thought, man, it must have been like that, that when, when the army was coming back, when the, the general was leading his troops back into town, that he began to smell this sweet aroma as they entered because the people had prepared for the victory parade. And here's the other side of that. When they actually got to town, guess what was behind them? The defeated general of the enemy army. And they had him bound up. And they were, were pulling him as the, the victorious general was, was in this chariot and had this white horse pulling it down Main Street. Behind him, tethered to it, was this general that had been defeated of the enemy army. And, and it, was, it was kind of kind of weird but kind of different. What they would do in that day and time is they would strip that enemy general down to nothing. No clothes on. They had ripped off the, the, the fancy uniform that he had, he had worn and, and that he was so proud of. And all the, the medals and all the, the awards that, that were tethered to that uniform. It was all gone. It was all stripped away. Down to nothing. And they would lead that defeated foe down the streets of Rome. As the people celebrated now, can you imagine for a minute if the Golden State Warriors did that to LeBron and the Cavs? That would be awful. I mean, okay, don't get sensitive on me. But that's the kind of imagery that I want you to see with this. That defeated general pulled behind that victorious chariot. Now, that's what their parade looked like in comparison to our modern-day celebrations of championship teams. Now, secondly, on your outline, there's nothing like being on the right team. And here's what we want to, to grab a hold of right now. Victory is in our captain, as verse 14 reminds us again. Let me ask you this question. How many of you remember growing up and when you actually went outside and played on the playground games like kickball? I don't even think they know what that is nowadays, but, you know, that's what we used to do. And the teachers loved it. It was like, get out from under our feet for just an hour. Give us a break. Go out there and beat on each other and kick each other in the head with that round red ball. And, you know, do whatever you got to do to get some of that energy out. Well, man, we got real serious about everything we did out on the playground. I mean, we grew up competitive. Like I said in the beginning, I hate to lose even as much as I love to win. And so every time you go out there, inevitably there's like two really good players, right? Like the two best of the best. And, and always you're going to make them captains, right? And, and, and they have to pick their teams. And How many of you always were just hoping inside if you weren't one of those captains? Maybe you were. I know Chris, he probably was. Man, that guy can do anything. And he's good at everything. Maybe you were one of the captains, but if not, you were just hoping that the best captain was going to pick you because it seemed like always one was just a little bit better at least than the other one. And the reason you wanted to be on that team is because you wanted to, hey, you're catching on to this, huh? I I'm talking to some smart folks. Turn around and tell your neighbor, man, you're brilliant. Just go ahead and tell them you could be a rocket scientist. I, I believe that. Now, some of you might be lying a little bit, so you might have to come up and repent at the end. That might be stretching it, but, you know, at least it helps them feel good. Someone said to a man who had been saved by Christ, Oh, I understand that you've got victory over the devil. And I love the response he got. He said, No, I have the victor 
over the devil. Folks, it is in Christ. That's where our victory is. Jesus has defeated the enemy, Satan himself. And here's what it does for us there on your outline. If we choose to accept it, how many of you remember Mission Impossible? Dun, 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 dun. This message is going to self-destruct in five seconds. That is your mission if you choose to accept it. If we choose to accept the victory that Jesus has secured over 2,000 years ago, here are just some of the benefits. First of all, the Lord will deliver us from death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Jesus was manifested. The Son of God came that he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil himself. And through death he destroyed him that has the power of death. That is the devil. Man, I love that. Now, don't get the idea that when, when you were unsaved, you were just sick and needed to get well. No, 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 no. When you were unsaved... Listen to me, and, and get this, you are dead. How many of you remember that movie, Dead Man Walking? They, they talked about coming down death row. You had no life. You were dead. You were lost in your sin and trespasses, and you had already been condemned to die. Spiritually, physically, every kind of way you can die. You weren't just sick. You were hopeless without Christ. The Bible says Jesus destroyed the devil that had the power of death to give us life. Secondly, the Lord will deliver us from debt. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, the Bible says here that he did something very wonderful. In verse 13, he says, he has forgiven you all of your trespasses. That means every debt that you owe, that you've earned, that you've, you've saved up in, in a bad way. Blotting out the handwriting, get this, of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. And it took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Now, understand this. That terminology there that's used, the handwriting of ordinances, you know what that's talking about? That's talking about the law that we broke, just like we have in our society today. You cannot, I don't care, I've seen this on live PD. You can't go to Walmart and take stuff off their shelves and put it in your pockets and walk out without paying for it. That is a crime. You can do that, you can try it, but guess what? When you're walking into Walmart to do your grocery shop and you see the popo sitting right up near the front door, you know somebody got caught. And they called the police and they come out and said, there is a written statute that says stealing is illegal. It's a crime in our city. And you have violated that. You have stolen something from the Wally world and now you're going to pay for it. Here is the penalty for your crimes. Those are the ordinances. And that's exactly what Paul is writing about here, those statutes of ordinances, that handwriting of ordinances that was against us. We sinned. And if you're sitting in this room, say, Pastor, I haven't sinned. You just sinned there. You lied. We've sinned. The Bible says we've all sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. That means we didn't rise to the glory of God. We fell below that. And so here's what happens Jesus came along and said, put it on me. I'll take their place. In other words, he would be the one marching out with the cops, dragging him in handcuffs, going to the police car and getting in to go and pay the penalty that we deserved. Man, I'm telling you something. When you get a hold of that, it'll rock your life for eternity to realize that you're not getting what you deserve. I'm not getting what I deserved, and believe me, I've had some doozies in my day. 
And, and he comes along and says, Robert, I love you enough that I'm going to erase that debt. I'm going to take it myself and put it upon me. And I'm going to nail it to the tree when I give my life up. So that you can be free. It's your debt. Could you write down, my debt is paid in Christ. Thirdly, the Lord delivers us from the devil himself. Colossians 2.15, not only did he overcome our death in verse 13. And our debt... In verse 14, but he overcomes the devil in verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Made a show of them openly. How many of you remember the parade I'm talking about? The general that's trailing behind the victorious general strapped to that chariot, stripped down naked, embarrassed, Everything taken, all of his power, his authority is gone. That's the imagery here that Paul is referencing. That the devil himself has been defeated in that way just for us. Listen, church. There's at least three things that happened in this victory. Number one, Satan was stripped. Again, Colossians 2.15, do you know that the word spoiled means edkuo? It means to strip away. Satan has been stripped of all of his pomp, his circumstance, all the majesty, all the glory that he had as the chief angel in heaven. And he was over all the worship in heaven from what we learned from God's word. That's why it's such a powerful area, music, worship, singing, all that. And if it's not right, man, it can, it can be a bad thing. But when it's right, there's nothing like it. And pride entered into his heart and he wanted the glory instead of God getting the glory. And he was bounced out of heaven. And the Bible says he was stripped of all of that that he once had. At Calvary, Jesus Christ ripped from him every bit of that that he once had forevermore. Satan has also been shamed. Now the word to make a show of means to be put to shame. He has ridiculed Satan. Satan has been dragged before and prayed before the peoples of this world. And Satan still wants you to see him as some sort of maniacal monster in control. But his back has been broken. He is chained to the chariot of Jesus. And Jesus has made a show of him openly. He doesn't want us to understand that or grab a hold of that. He wants us to go running in fear every time he says boo. He wants us to think of him as this intimidating character. That has all this power, but he has none that can do that to us. But we have all the authority of heaven living inside of us. We have the victor living in our hearts and residing through us. So folks, we have the power, right? You ever been in that place where somebody kind of seemed like a bully was picking on you? And when that bully is, is picking on you, intimidating you, messing with you every day, you know, they've got the power. But the old lesson from the Andy Griffith show, where's my brother Tim in here going to be doing that Bible study, is like he told Opie, man, you just got to stand up and pop him in the mouth. You got to let him know that you're not afraid and you're not going to give him the power. You're going to take back that power. Well, in, in essence, that's what we have to do as children of the living God, as sons and daughters of the Most High in which Jesus Christ lives in and through We've got to stand up and take our rightful place and say, Devil, you are not going to mess with me anymore. You are not going to intimidate me anymore. You are not going to control me anymore. You are not going to be the one that moves my peace on the chessboard any longer. I will not listen to you. I will not give you place. You have no right. You have no authority. You are defeated as of Calvary's cross. No more to have any power in my life. He's a liar. 
and the father of lies. And you know what? He's going to come at you. Yapping in your ear. You just do like we're instructed in the word. Turn and say, get behind me, Satan. You have no authority here. You don't belong here. He's been shamed to make a show of publicly. And then finally, Satan has been subdued. Triumphing over them in it. Referring to principalities and powers, hell and all of its hosts. Now, now there's a triumph, folks. Satan has been stripped, shamed, and subdued. And I want to tell you, that brings us a total victory in our lives. Because go back to 14, verse 14, which says, We have victory always, and we have victory everywhere. Now, I want you to notice, God is not only the author of this victory, but I want you to notice the arena in which this takes place. If, if we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 again, Now, thanks be unto God, which... Now look at that next word, which always, would you mark that? Would you circle that in your Bibles if you're not afraid to do that? And that's a great thing. Which always causes us to what, church? Anybody listen at all? Always causes us to what? Triumph. There you go. Thank you, Shelby. That sweet little meek voice from the midsection there just came, came out of nowhere always causes us to triumph. That means that we have the victory. Listen, guys, that's what it's all about. That's what we're talking about throughout the entirety of this message and this teaching. Always causes us to triumph and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge, that, that sweet-smelling aroma in every place. I want you to put a circle around always and put a circle around every place. And then tell me this. When he said always... And every place, what did he leave out? Anybody? Nothing. Can you write that down? He left out nothing. That's all inclusive. Listen, we have Jesus. We have victory always and everywhere. Back to that just a moment ago that I, I, I mentioned. I mean, when you've said time and space, you've said it all. Always and everywhere it covers everything. So when you're at work on Wednesday morning and it's already been a tough week and you're feeling like, man, the pressure and all the stuff is stacking on you, you don't know how you're going to make it, guess what? Remember what we're talking about right now, that God has spoken to you. His promise is that you're always going to triumph. You're always going to have victory, right? That not just some of the time, not just about 75. Would you, would you hate to read your Bible right there and it says, guess what? I've got good news for you. 75% of the time in your life, you are going to be victorious. Isn't that wonderful? Let's celebrate. I think you'd be a little disappointed, wouldn't you? But when you read those words, when someone reminds you of the truth of God's word, that he always causes us to triumph in every situation. What does that do to you? Does that not like grip your heart and say, you know what? On Wednesday morning when all that stuff hits, guess what? I win. On, on Thursday afternoon when, when the world seems to be caving in, guess what? I can walk in with my head held high knowing whose I am and who I belong to and who lives in and through me and knowing that the victory is mine and all this stuff that's coming at me, hey, I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry and I don't have to bow down to it. I am victorious. Always. Not just sometimes. 
Some of you I know, you're saying, well, Pastor, you know, that means it's just going to be smooth sailing and no problems and all honey and no bees. Don't you like that? We love the honey. Don't want to get stung by the bees. Going to be all sunlight and roses and health and happiness and joy and all that good stuff. No, 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 no. Now, please understand, if you don't have any problems, <laughs> see if this makes sense to you. If you don't have any challenges, there's nothing contesting you. No adversary coming against you. Everything was just smooth and easy. Look at me right now. You wouldn't need victory, would you? There'd be no contest. You're going to have challenges. Even Jesus, before he went back to heaven and prepared that glorious place that he's working on right now, and he said, I'm going to come back and get you when it's ready. Even he said to his disciples and to us today, in this world you will have Punch your neighbor a little firm, make sure they're awake. That was a little delayed reaction. This side got it pretty good. The rest of you guys, read your Bibles. Okay, let's try it one more time. In this world, you will have... Okay, still stronger on this side. Just You guys just be quiet for a second. You did great. Gold stars for all of you. They'll pass them out as you leave. Okay, this side. Jesus said, in this world, you will have... Man, that's pretty good. Some of you still, I love it. You just can't, can't stop. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome. Man, that's a week. I mean, you got to help me, people. Come on, preach. But be of good cheer because I have overcome. That should be something you're excited about. And about five of you are. The rest of you, wake up. And I tell you that, wake up because revival's coming. You're either on board or you're not. You're going to get run over, left behind, thrown to the side of the road. But God said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. That's a little bit better. I think a little fire's starting to burn in you. We're going to have trouble. We're going to have challenges. But be of good cheer because Jesus Christ has overcome everything just for us to take advantage and enjoy it. To live in victory. And Man, I'm telling you, lastly today, how sweet it smells. Because here's what it's all about. As the priest in Rome would burn those incense, and you ask yourself, what is the incense that is burned because of the victory of Christ? And here's what I want to share with you about that it's my life and it's your life. 15 again, for we are unto God a sweet savor. Christ. What does that mean? That means that the aroma of heaven dwells in us and exudes out of us. And we, why do we do this? Verse 14, we make manifest that savor. We go around pumping that, that smell out. We go around exuding that odor to people. How many of you love cologne and perfume? You don't even have to raise your hand because we know it. <laughs> your presence precedes you, as they would say. How many of you want to smell like Christ? Now, here, here's the options, folks. 
You ever heard the expression, man, their attitude stinks to high heavens. You know why? Because they ain't got Christ. And the smell of death is what they carry. That, that's how this breaks down. It's, it's graphic. It's gory. You know what I'm talking about. Man, I, there, there's nothing better than taking a good run out on a beautiful day in, in town and enjoying the, the, the smell of the, the pine needles kind of roasting in the sun and, 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 the, and the fresh flowers on the side of the road as you're, you're into that good run and you're just experiencing some time with the Lord and you're listening to your, your earbuds and you're, you're singing some worship if you can catch your breath enough to do so. And, and you're running along and man, it is a wonderful experience until... There's some roadkill somewhere close by because it's like, <laughs> you're kind of doing everything you can not to lose your cookies. It's in our hands, our hearts, to figure out how we're going to present ourselves to the world around us. Because if we got Christ, we are this sweet-smelling aroma that people just are drawn to. They're just like, man, I don't know what it is, but there's something about your life. And you get the opportunity to tell them, it's not me, believe me. My Old Spice body wash just can't, can't accomplish this. It's Christ in me. The beauty of the Savior living, having control completely of my life, me surrendering to him daily, me doing my best to say, Lord, let people see you and not me. Let them smell you and not me, God. But I'm telling you something. I have crossed paths with a number of professing Christ followers. People say, I love Jesus. And I'm telling you something. I didn't see it in them. I didn't smell them. What I did, it was a, it stunk to high heavens. Their attitude was terrible. They were always negative, always down, always looking at the, the bad side and, and always looking at the cup that, that was half empty. And it's repulsive, just to be honest with you. Even though they say, I, I love Jesus, nothing in their life portrays that and certainly not the, the aroma that's coming from them. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. We are either exuding the aroma of life in Jesus Christ or we're exuding the aroma of death in this body and this soul and this spirit that is dying and decaying and wasting away. And the choice is ours to make. Are you living in the sweet smell of victory? Through Christ Jesus our Lord or not because I'm going to tell you something you may think you've got some people fooled but the truth wins out because that, that aroma it's going to come through no matter how much you mask it and try to put your perfume or cologne on it's, it's still going to be there Paul says be that sweet savor to a lost world that's dying for Jesus Christ. Would you close your eyes with me just for a moment? And as you do, I, I want to invite Pastor Scott to come and prepare to lead us in communion in this part of our, our gathering before we head out here in just a little bit. But before he begins that, that part, I, I just want to encourage every one of us in this room and, and, and with your eyes closed for just that moment, if, if you're in here and you would say, honestly, Pastor, you know what? I 
I haven't been living in this complete victory that Christ himself purchased for me, for all of us who will call upon him, surrender to him and make him Lord of our lives. You are saying right now, that's not where I'm at with Jesus, but it sure is where I want to be. I want to surrender my all to him. Would you just raise your hand across this room and say, pray for me in this this closing prayer before we partake of communion. I, I need Jesus to be Lord of my life completely, totally, nothing held back. Is there anyone in this room that you would say that right now by lifting your hand up in the air? Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? This is your time. This is your moment. God is here to meet with you. How many of you would just say then, along with these couple few people who raised a hand for surrender to Jesus Christ, maybe you're saying in this room, you know what? My attitude hasn't been all that it should be. My, my life isn't that, that good-smelling savor. I'm not exuding Jesus Christ to everyone I come in contact with. I, I've had this tendency to be negative and down and selfish and on and on and on. And I, I pretty much so my attitude hasn't been right. And some other things that the Holy Spirit are whispering in my heart right now. But today, that's going to change. Would you raise your hands and say, Pastor, Pastor, pray for me this morning in these areas. I, I want to see Christ come and redeem. Thank you. Thank you. How, how many others? Just raise, raise your hand as well. Anyone else? Yes. Here's, here's what I, I feel led to do as we prepare to partake together this morning. If there be anything in your life that's not pleasing to Christ, would you just take this time of prayer and, and confess that and Ask Jesus to come and cleanse you from the inside out. Would you reach over, take the hand of whomever is by you right now and just treat them as a prayer partner. Some of you have people on both sides. Grab their hands as we pray together for these needs. I want you to pray one for another as the word instructs. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can. We do have this great gift, this this honor and this privilege to love each other and pray for each other as the body of Christ and even those who are new to the body and are right now surrendering God. Thank you for those lives. Follow him to wash me clean, to be born again by the power of the resurrected Savior and the blood of the Lamb that was shed at Calvary. I accept your great salvation, Jesus. From this day forward, I will live for you. My whole life belongs to you. God, thank you for the amazing gift of your salvation and those who are right now, right now, right now being born again in the kingdom of God as disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, for all of us who might say there are things in my life that aren't really exuding the aroma of Christ, would you just come and would you just take, take those out, surgically remove them. Let the Holy Spirit come and just cut them away bring the essence and the character and the characteristics in the heart of Christ himself that I am victorious I am triumphant I am who he says I am and no weapon formed against me is going to prosper because Jesus Christ is victorious in my life in every area there's not a closet that I'm keeping closed there's nothing I'm keeping from him or holding on to I surrender everything to the one that paid it all for me thank you Lord for showing yourself big in and through our lives and bringing that sweet smell of victory in Jesus name
for thousands of years now, the, the church of Jesus Christ has celebrated what we call communion, the sacrament, where we take a piece of bread, a glass of juice, as instructed by our Lord and Savior the last night that he was on earth with his disciples as he sat with them at the table. And the one thing that he says about both of the elements that you will have in your hands in just a moment as the ushers come to prepare to serve you right where you are, he says this word, remember. Remember. And the most beautiful thing about communion, about this act, about this obedient act that we, that we do periodically in the, in the Christian church, if you will, is that it gives us an opportunity, if we haven't taken one for a while, to remember. Not remember what we, what we did, but to remember what He did on the cross. And so, right after the ushers serve you, I'm going to come back and we're going to partake of these elements together. It's just bread and it's just juice. But think about what it means, what it symbolizes. Think about and remember Him. And I would challenge you, as Pastor Robert was just praying, to end that segment of the service. Remember what He did for you. I'm going to talk about that for just a second after we're served. Remember what He did for you personally in this time. Ushers, would you serve us?
beautiful thing about this also is that this is a new covenant. In the Old Testament, covenants were given. People tried to keep those covenants, and they couldn't. But what you hold in your hand is representation and a remembrance of the new covenant, a new agreement, the new deal, if you will, that God gave you God gave me because I couldn't do it on my own. So these elements, the bread, his, his body and the juice, his blood represent a new covenant. God said, I'm going to make a new way. You, you couldn't do this on your own. You tried for generations and generations as you read through the Old Testament. They tried. That's why we have that word. That's why we study that word because we see God's people trying failing and God renewing the covenant and then we get to the New Testament we get to Paul's writings in 1st Corinthians and it tells us that Jesus the Son of God the only one and true living Son of God was given for us as a new covenant and it tells us there that Jesus on the last night that he was with his disciples at the Last Supper took the bread and he blessed it. And I love what it says. They broke it. At that moment, they had no idea what that would mean. But as we look back on that now, as we remember, we remember that brokenness. That his body was broken for us. And he said, I break this bread. And what I'm going to ask you to do, Jesus said, is for as long as I tarry, until I come again, will you take that bread and will you break it, bless it, and would you remember my body that was given for you? And so as we take this together, pray together, will you remember Christ's body that was broken for you on the cross? And then the Bible says that he took the cup and again he blessed it. And he said, this cup, this juice is my blood. Now you're going to find churches all across the United States that don't want to use that word. They don't want to talk about the blood. But let me tell you something. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, 
You would have no forgiveness for your sins. You would live in your despair. You would die and you would go to a devil's hell with no hope. It's the blood of Jesus that covers it. He said, take this cup and every time you drink it, remember my blood. Remember how deep and dark despair you were in your sins, but it's my blood that no matter where we are in our lives, no matter how deep we've gone, covers your sins. I did this for you, he said. Remember me. Would you take that? So, Heavenly Father, we act in obedience to your word. And it's in this precious moment that we remember your body that was broken, that we remember your blood that was spilled. Father, I had a visual while we were practicing this morning and, and, and before the service even began of how your blood dripped off the ends of your feet onto the ground that was so dry below. It was a thirsty ground. And I prayed at this altar that you would make me thirsty. I know that ground, that soil, that dirt absorbed the moisture of your blood. It drank it in. And the more that fell, the more it pooled, the more that ground absorbed it and I ask you Lord to give me a thirst for you and so in this moment God at the end of such a, a great time that we've had together at the end of hearing from your word this morning we spend this moment remembering you and I ask you on behalf of these people to make us all thirsty don't let us stay dry. Don't let us be dry. I want to be thirsty for you, God. I want to know you better than I've ever known you before. So in this simple act that you instructed your disciples and us to follow, in this simple act of a piece of bread, to remember your broken body and a simple cup of juice, to remember the blood that you shed for me. That's a new covenant. That's a new covenant for me, and it's good news, and it's good hope for everybody. And that's what we're doing here is we're not just here celebrating it for ourselves, but you've charged every one of us and called every one of us to take that out to those that you would put us in contact with, to the masses, to those who are living a hopeless life, to those who, who, who live with despair and, and anxiety and depression in their lives. You, you said, take it to them. Tell them about me. So God, as we remember you, as we enjoy this new covenant, now we celebrate. That's what I love about you, Lord, is that we get an opportunity to do all of those things at one time in you. There's plenty of things I don't understand in Scripture as I read it, how, how this can go with that. And I don't understand how in the moment of remembrance and humility and, and, and thinking about you being on the cross, I can also feel like celebrating. I can also feel joy unspeakable and full of glory. But I do because it's all because of you, Jesus. It's the mention of your name, Jesus. It's calling on your name, Jesus. Your word says that 
It's the only name under which men can be saved. It's Jesus. So we celebrate. We celebrate you today. We keep our eyes not on what we can do or what we have done, but on you, Jesus. And we celebrate together. Would you stand all across this room this morning and celebrate who he is?